0: Book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 10, The Three Visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. A reading from the book of Matthew 25, verses 40 through 45, the judgment of the nations. And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison? and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. May the living word of God speak speak to us through these ancient words. of
1: This morning marks the conclusion of our sermon series entitled Commitment, Practices That Sustain Community. The first week of the series, we talked about promises, making them and keeping them, and how they form the backbone of our church community. Then we talked about living truthfully, how being truthful allows us to be authentic and care for one another as we are. Last week, we talked about gratitude and the practices that foster feelings of thankfulness to God for all of the abundant blessings in our lives and our church. Today, we will discuss hospitality, the radical welcome that we as Christians are to embody in our lives and in our community. If you take some time to think about it, the practice of hospitality seems to run counter to our fast-paced goal-oriented society where we are constantly on the move. It's rare for many of us to have the luxury of time set aside specifically for the purpose of fellowship, of enjoying a meal together, for example, with one notable exception, of course, being Thanksgiving, wherein the main focus of the holiday is placed upon sharing a meal together and focusing on gratitude. But we would do well to adopt the practice as a more central focus within our lives and our community. I'm sure that all of us can think of someone who stands out in our minds as being particularly hospitable. The first person that comes to mind for me is my grandma B, who was always willing and ready to provide a listening ear and a warm meal. Many of my best memories, both in childhood and beyond, were set in her house, which functioned as a duplex with my great-grandmother living in the walk-out basement apartment below. The space always felt warm and inviting. It felt like home. Hospitality is an ancient practice that is deeply rooted in antiquity and is something that scripture discusses extensively to paint a picture as to why hospitality was such an important part of the culture of ancient Israel, we should first consider that this was a time without many of the luxuries that we take for granted today. Food and shelter, clothing and water, these were all things which had to be produced through extensive, strenuous labor. And those who found themselves wandering would have to rely on the kindness of strangers in a foreign land to care for them, to help to meet their needs. Interestingly, though, this practice was instituted not just for the care of the stranger, but also for the residents of the community themselves. There was a fear of the unknown, and many people thought that those traveling could have some sort of obfuscated military connection, which could pose a danger to them or even magical powers. And so they sought to win their favor by being hospitable to these strangers. And these sorts of relationships could even go on to form long lasting bonds. As one biblical scholar, Dr. Andrew Artberry states, if they both agreed, a host and a guest might exchange valuable gifts that symbolized the formation of a long-term reciprocal guest friendship or alliance between the two of them and their families. And in this way, both people took on the permanent responsibilities of both a host and a guest. If we turn our attention to our Old Testament reading this morning, we see a rather mysterious account of what ancient hospitality would have looked like. There's a sense of mystery which surrounds the opening of this passage. It begins by framing Abraham's encounter here as one with God, but then immediately shifts and says that he's seeing three visitors. And so these visitors, in a sense, are a manifestation of God to him. It's a bit confusing to be sure but it sets up our understanding of how we ought to view others in our acts of hospitality. We ought to see them as beloved children of God to whom we are extending our care. So Abraham goes on to offer all of the culturally expected acts of hospitality to these visitors. He offers them water, a foot washing and a place to rest, he asks for Sarah to make bread for them, and he gets a calf for milk and cheese. And so we can see that while the practices of hospitality have shifted throughout the years, it's not typical for us to wash our guests' feet, for example, Um, the spirit is still the same. It's still present here. And one of the men remarks that he will be back and that Sarah, despite her age, which is well beyond childbearing years, will have a son. Now, this is important because it assures them a descendant, which meant a continuation of their legacy, and that would have been everything in ancient Israel. And this would be seen as both miraculous and a huge blessing to them. Now, the story brings to the fore a danger of how we can practice hospitality with the expectation that we will receive something in return. Abraham and Sarah here are being hospitable out of the goodness of their hearts, as well as because it is what is culturally expected of them, not in the hopes of a reward. And because they have chosen to entertain these guests and treated them so well, They receive a blessing beyond what could be imagined, beyond the realm of what is even imagined possible. And I think that this tells us something about how we as hosts ought to be. Like all other things, we are able to extend hospitality to others because God first extended it to us. God invites us into life and asks us and asks to dwell with us and us with God, and thus hospitality should be seen as an extension of the blessings that we receive from God. Of course, when we allow room for God to work, anything is possible, but blessings should not be what we seek out first and foremost in our acts of hospitality. Rather, we should seek to be a blessing to others. With this in mind, let us turn our attention to our New Testament reading this morning from the book of Matthew. Here we find ourselves in the midst of Jesus speaking in a parable, which he does frequently to illustrate a point. Beginning right before our chosen pericope, Jesus presents a prophetic revelation here by way of an agricultural metaphor, and also a popular choice of expression for Jesus. He describes separating those before him into two separate groups, one group of sheep and one of goats, and this practice would have been something commonplace at the time, um, as goats and sheep require different kinds of care, and so shepherds would typically separate them or sort them in this way, and we see here that in our verse this morning that The fate of those sorted as goats, those who choose not to live into the edict of care and compassion that Jesus calls us to, and the fate is described as not pleasant, but it demonstrates the fervor with which Jesus is urging us to care for the least of these among us. Now, there exists some scholarly debate as to how we might best understand the phrase the least of these mentioned here. Particularly since, in verse 40, the the least of these are qualified as being members or belonging to the family of Jesus. Now, some scholars contend that Jesus is speaking specifically about Christians who, in this culture that was openly hostile to Jesus and his teachings, may often find themselves in dire straits. They may be imprisoned, they may be without adequate food, water, shelter, or clothing. And while this may be true, I think that such discussions run the risk of becoming semantic and losing sight of the spirit of what Jesus is telling us here. All of us are recipients of God's unconditional love and grace. Grace and mercy are, by definition, granted to the undeserving. They're given to us whether we earn them or not. And so we should not consider ourselves to be the arbiters of who receives our care. Thus, I think that what may help us best understand these verses in our own context is to consider our own culture and our own society and understand that there are people in our society who are outcast, who are dejected and treated as the least of these. And of course, we should be open to other Christians, but we should be welcome to all of those who, those who don't believe like us, those who look different than us, those who are different from us in every conceivable way. There's something so beautiful in this, opening our doors and opening our hearts to others, seeking the light of God in every face, and even in the places that we don't expect it. That is the work of God among us, always doing something new, always doing something incredible beyond our understanding. We have to be open to that to grow and to flourish. Now, in these verses, what resonates so strongly to me is the identification of Jesus with the recipients of our care, with, the, with those who are described as the least of these, Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And Jesus says that he himself is just as the least of these. So if we turn others away, we are turning Christ himself away. Truly practicing hospitality means being intentional and open, even when it is inconvenient even when it's difficult, and what is hospitality in action if not caring for others, for welcoming them into our lives and spaces and embracing them? Thus, we have to be mindful that we give everyone a space at the table, even those with whom we disagree. And if we trust the process, we will all grow together. God's love and grace are transformative for individuals and communities alike. If we allow ourselves to be open to others, to give from a mindset of abundance, to open our minds and our hearts, that is where the work of the spirit can truly come to fruition. So how then can we as a community put hospitality into action There are many things that we can do, and I believe that we do these things well. Things such as getting the word out about our church, letting people know that we are a welcoming and inclusive and diverse community, that we greet visitors and we invite them to fellowship with us. But the ongoing practice of hospitality is not something that is easy to quantify. It can't just be checked off a list. That is because hospitality is not merely about leaving the door open. It is a clear, continuous commitment to including others in our community, to sharing with one another the fullness of ourselves, our lives, our talents, our gifts, our friendship. For hospitality to be meaningful, there has to be follow through. And this is, of course, difficult to do, and it requires the kind of vulnerability that we spoke about a few weeks ago whenever we discussed living truthfully. To truly welcome others in, we have to be willing to share our whole selves, be present to one another through the ups and the downs and all of those times in between. The church is, after all, a home that surrounds us and is intertwined with our lives from baptism until burial. And as a community that seeks to continue to thrive, we have to commit ourselves to living into that fullness, into that radical welcome, and sharing ourselves with the world beyond us. The church is, after all, to be warm and inviting, it is to feel like home. Amen.